So John, I'm not gonna, don't want to put you on the spot, but you kind of brought this up at the end of the class, and I'd like to just maybe spend a couple minutes on this idea that you were talking about when he mentioned baptism and the Lord's Supper and what that kind of constituted, the way that he thought, you know, kind of like, almost like, oh, well, I don't know. Just just kind of give me your thoughts on that, because you, you brought that up and what you were thinking when he, he mentioned that. He stated those as uh, kind of givens of... Uh, fellowship and uh, I, I thought kind of intimated that it was then you know that those were almost givens but then that there were uh, other uh, equally understood demarcations of where you would uh, have or not have fellowship uh, among one another I'm not saying that real well, but uh, I think I think when it comes to the topic of of discipline and you know being in having unity and alignment in our pursuit of God, it it is it is challenging uh, to know at what points you know do you pursue discipline, but in, in view of a lack of unity. Hmm. Um, Sin is sin. That's right. That's right. You know, First Corinthians five. You know, adultery. Uh, a man committing uh, adultery with his father's wife. Uh, that's that's pretty straightforward. Uh, there are other areas where it's not so clear, black and white. Okay, it becomes challenging. Okay, all right. Yeah, let me let me just read that little section um, you're you're talking about because I had. I had a couple of little notes I have written in my margin as well. Um, there again, remember, when we started this class, we, we made sure we, we remembered that this book was written by a man, right? And we may agree with most or a lot of what he says, but we may disagree with some things that he says too, which is, which is fine. Who turned the TV on? Downstairs. Downstairs? Debbie's passcode was popped up there. Yeah. You've got a remote right there. Oh, I do. Is it going to turn theirs off? <laughs> That'd be hilarious if all of a sudden theirs goes by and then she turns it back on again. All right. Well, you know that it's happened if it comes back on again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll just find the button. Turn it off. Um, so it's on page 43 and it begins with the last paragraph. It says, Baptism and the Lord's Supper, I'm just going to read it verbatim, and then we can talk about, and I'm going to stop and say where I think there's a poor choice of words anyway. Baptism and the Lord's Supper have special roles in reinforcing the concept of boundary establishment and maintenance. Baptism is the rite of initiation by which one becomes part of the church. I struggle with his wording there, the rite of initiation. I, I think I know what he's talking about, but I think it's very poor wording to say that about baptism. So that it is relatively clear who is in and who is out. That's the ultimate goal where he's getting at, right? If you've been baptized, you haven't been baptized. Those that are baptized are in Christ. Those that haven't been baptized are not in Christ. But I wouldn't call that a rite of initiation, personally. Sociologically speaking, being put out of the church's fellowship might be viewed as the reverse of baptism, although there is no suggestion in Scripture that people who repent and are restored to the church's fellowship must be rebaptized. Similarly, the Lord's Supper is an act of solidarity for the church as are more common fellowship meals. Being barred from participation in these, 
especially from the Lord's Supper, takes on deep significance, and it isn't surprising that we find references to such disciplinary actions in Paul's letters. So, there again, this was in the section on boundaries, um, and the idea of the ones, right? One body. There's one body of Christ. But then we talked a little bit about as well that every body has individual members. And the members are, um, are there to support each other, but they don't necessarily all do the exact same thing. And then he says, uh, there is some discussion among scholars as to whether the prohibition against eating with an offending brother or sister means ordinary meals in general or the Lord's Supper in particular. And then he goes on to say, he thinks it, it probably means both. Um, and you can find just as many um, uh, references that people think, no, it is strictly the Lord's Supper, and that's exactly what Paul's talking about because of the references to the Lord's Supper he's had in several chapters before. And then almost immediately after this, he goes in and starts talking about the Lord's Supper again. There are some people that say, it's any meal, doesn't matter if it's the Lord's Supper or whatever. So, there again. I'm not going to stand up here and say this is what it has to be, but just to let you know, these are things that 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 I think we have to kind of wrestle with, um, and we have to kind of determine exactly what is it that Paul's talking about, and um, we have to make that decision ourselves. I can't rely on Tony to say, Mike, this is the way you have to believe in this. You know, it can only be the Lord's Supper that he's talking about only, or you know, Frosty says, no, it's any meal. You have to believe it that way. I'm responsible to make up my mind, and I'm responsible, based on my study and my understanding of the Scripture, to come to the conclusion that I believe what it's talking about. doesn't mean that it won't change over time. I mean, if we're all honest, there's probably a lot of things that we have believed about Scripture and about how to follow Christ that as we grow, as other people come along, as um, uh, more information is given and a new way of thinking is presented, that makes a lot of sense, that maybe ha- have caused us to rethink some of our our um, conclusions that, that we've come to. Maybe even conclusions that have, have you know, basically been um, ingrained, um, I'll say ingrained in me from, you know, from when I first became a Christian uh, a lot of years ago. That's all I'll say, a lot of years ago. Um, but, uh, there again, some of these things are things that we have to work out ourselves and decide exactly what, what does it mean based on the way that I understand the scripture and the context that I see it in. I believe it refers to all eating. That's just my opinion. But things really get complicated when there are members of your household that are still living under your roof implicating all of this. It does because the scriptures cannot contradict itself. God never contradicts himself. And there are certain things that um, certain responsibilities, right, as parents and as um, a husband, spouse, husband and wife, that we have to, um, that the Bible says that we have to meet, that, that are our responsibilities. And so, there again, you know, we'll, we'll, as we get toward the end of the class, we'll have time to maybe talk about specific things that are questions you might have on what ifs or, you know, here's a situation I've seen or heard. But um, I think it's really important to know that, that a lot of these things are, go- I'm, I'm not saying the, that, that there's no absolutes in the Bible. Please don't think I'm saying that. That is, not, that is not the truth. There are plenty of absolutes in the Bible. But there are some things where you can tell scholars are even divided on that we have to then make up our own mind and understand, say, this is the way that I understand Scripture now. 
um, by what I've been in classes, what I've researched and, and studied on my own, what learned people have talked to me and, and, and told me how they feel and why they feel this way, I have to come to those, con those conclusions as well. So, But as of this point in the study, that's really not his focus. His focus isn't, right? He's not focusing saying, does it mean eating all or just eating the Lord's Supper? That's not his focus. His focus is this idea of these boundaries, this concept of boundaries. And if we don't have boundaries established, then you can never establish discipline because what are you going to discipline if there's no boundaries? If there's no boundaries, everything is fine. Everything is right. And so there has to be some way to know or to discern who's in, who's out. Are you within the boundaries? Are you outside of the boundaries? And if you're within the boundaries, then do we have a responsibility to discipline each other? Which I think is an emphatic yes. Anne, did you start to say something? Well, I was just thinking about um, yeah, First Corinthians 5, and I don't know. When he says in verse 9, before he gets to eating, he starts out by saying, don't associate with immoral people. So, and, and again, these are immoral people within the church who are trying, who still want to be part of the church. Right. And he's saying, don't associate with them. So wouldn't that pretty much cover everything? And so the eating was just, you know, an example. It wasn't, you know, whether it, I don't know. It, it seems kind of irrelevant whether that particular reference talks about the Lord's Supper or general eating because he's already made a blanket statement that pretty much covers everything. Yeah, once you define associate with, right? Yeah. I mean, so is he talking about associating with inside the context of a church assembly or is he talking about associating with... There again, these are the boundaries, right, that, that, that have been set. Or is he talking about associating no matter what? And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying these are questions that have been asked and, and have, have to be considered and have to be discussed um, to be able to, to, ma to make up your context mind. about how, I mean, my revised standard translates that associate with. Is there, does anybody have some sense of the context of the Greek phrasing and how it's? <clears throat> used other places I don't know I so don't what know. version is that New American Standard yeah sorry New American Standard it's first yeah in verse 9 I really don't know if there are maybe other translations that don't use a term that sounds so encompassing because associate with sounds pretty so read your verse 9 um I wrote you in my letter not to associate with the moral people. Okay. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. Right. But actually I wrote you not to associate with any so-called brother. Okay. So he's specific there again. And, and yeah. I'm, you know, it's, he's not saying a blanket statement, don't associate. He says don't associate with, and the New King James says sexually immoral people. So there again, now, now we're defining what becomes immoral, what becomes sexually immoral, and we take it and or sexually immoral, depending on which version you read, right? You and read 10, though, he, he, it's bigger than that. Did not mean with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or, idol, or, or, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, and so then in verse 11, he uses all those same adjectives when right. he's talking about something right. within right. the body. Right. And so there again, we'll get into well one of our one of our chapters actually deals with this this chapter, First Corinthians five, and we'll get into it and we'll we'll talk about that even more because these are there again these are all the kinds of questions that will that will come up and that have to be discussed and I'm hoping Craig deals with this. So. Doesn't it seem though that it's adaptable, just the same as you discipline your own children differently? based upon how they perceive the situation and what you might or might not be condoning. Um, and so if you enact the same discipline on this person and they say, well, I mean, that wasn't a big deal that they take that away from me. But this other thing, well, if, if you made me stand in the corner, well, now that's the end of the world, you know. But uh, how, how the person perceives it also has to be kind of weighed into all of that. Too, right. Because... You know, if, if you think that it's just the Lord's Supper, how does the person that you're withholding the Lord's Supper from, how do they perceive that? Right. Are they are, Maybe maybe that is enough for one individual, but maybe it's not for another to where they go, okay, well, so, I mean, That's no big we're deal, still right? buds on everything else, so. Right. <clears throat> It's not even plugged in. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) Next to uh, the verse that Ann was talking about, I got a reference to 2 Corinthians Mm 6.14. And that says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Right? Yep. Yeah. So, and you know, then we get into Second Corinthians when it appears that um, Paul then addresses this situation after the person has repented, and then the focus is more on the congregation. And I see, we, you know, even in First Corinthians five, we see a big focus on the congregation as well, what they're doing wrong, as well as a person that is committing the act. So there again, I don't want to get bogged down in, in 1 Corinthians right now, just simply because we will be we will be talking about that specifically, because so I think that this is a this is a big set of texts where, um, where a lot of conclusions are drawn, which I think is, is, is legit. Um, but, you know, what are the conclusions? How are they drawn? And I think those are things that we have to, and we will get into, and we will, um, we'll talk about. But keep in mind that the, the chapter 3, the idea was no discipline, no church. So in other words, if you have boundaries, if, if boundaries are established, whether it's a church, whether it's, it doesn't matter, a country club where you've got rules and regulations, right? If you have boundaries and people go outside of those boundaries, how do we deal with that? Do we just let it go? If we just let it go, then you, you really don't have boundaries because there's nothing there to encourage someone to stay within boundaries. But if boundaries have been established and set, and a person goes outside of those boundaries, then some form of discipline needs to take place. There again, I think we have to be careful that we don't just immediately think discipline, withdrawal, right? No. That is, that should be, that should be, that should have to be forced into our mind when we're talking about discipline with someone because there should be many, many steps and much more effort before that 
before we get to that point where that has to then come into play. And he deals with that a lot in this next chapter, which I kind of Absolutely. So. Yep, yep, yep. So any other questions on this uh, chapter? No discipline, no church. Because I do want to get into the ultimate expression of fellowship. With the, with the boundaries, it's not just for keeping people in, but it's also for keeping floods of people out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Kind of like our country. Right now we have a flood of people coming in. Right. So our boundaries are broken, and it's, it's going to affect us as a country. Right. I mean, there's a reason why, um, there's two reasons why a farmer will fence in a pasture, right? It's to keep his cows in, and it's to keep the coyotes and wolves out, if possible. Um, that's why there's so many references in Scripture to shepherd and wolves, and how the wolf is the boundary for the sheep, right? And the, the shepherd is the boundary for the sheep. And the wolf wants to come in and break through that boundary. They want to break through the shepherd to get to the sheep. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of references in the Bible that pertain to this idea of boundaries. Um, but I think the, the, uh, the church is, is definitely one. And... Um, that could be a whole other study too. What boundaries do we set up that establishes or that would cause us to say, yes, they are a member of Christ's church? It sounds like we need to go through the book called Boundaries. And, yeah, I mean, it's just general relationship stuff. And right. we almost treat it like it's some special thing, but it's really not. It's just, yeah, it's, 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 it's just how relationships work. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get into uh, this chapter, chapter 4, beginning on page 48. I'm going to take just a minute to read this story because this is a true story, which I think, you know, a couple of the other stories we've read have been fictional stories. This is a true one, which I, I like. Um, this Dr. Flavel Yeakley Jr., probably butchered that, tells of a meeting between the elders and deacons of a church at which the elders announced their intention to withdraw fellowship from several families who had not attended worship in months, some even in years. Following their announcement, one of the deacons asked, um, what will they miss once fellowship is withdrawn? The elders at first didn't understand the question, but the deacon went on to explain that with the withdrawal of fellowship, that a withdrawal of fellowship could have little meaning or effect if there were no real fellowship to withdraw. It seems that if fellowship is withdrawn, those being disciplined ought to find themselves missing something, shouldn't they? The elders met to consider this point and what they were about to do, and at a later meeting with the deacons announced that they were about to begin an effort toward intense fellowship with the same people they had been about to discipline. For several weeks, the elders visited these people in their homes, invited them into their homes for meals, and generally spent time getting acquainted with them and discussing their spiritual needs. In a few months time, most of these people acknowledged their negligence and recommitted themselves to the Lord. This true story highlights two of the most overlooked aspects of corrective church discipline. One, it is utterly without meaning outside the context of genuine congregational fellowship. And two, the exercise of discipline is, in fact, the ultimate expression of fellowship, which seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? It is the most we can do to maintain or restore fellowship with a brother or sister who has been overtaken by sin. So, I know that I kind of brought this uh, this question up, or this idea up, right, of withdrawing fellowship. 
And I think it's really good, this, this little footnote on the bottom of page 48, when it says, Although not a biblical term, withdrawal fellowship is a term often used for excluding someone from the fellowship of a congregation. Catholics and some others employ the term excommunication, which means essentially the same thing, although in traditional Catholic teaching it has further reaching consequences than simply a congregational action and, is, and so is perhaps best avoided. So I think that's why we don't use that term excommunicated because there's some other things that the Catholics have kind of, um, the Catholic Church has kind of uh, incorporated into that term that really would have no relevance and I think probably would have some unscriptural things about it. The New Testament terminology varies considerably by using general terms of avoidance. Although the practice itself is thoroughly biblical, there is no technical term used consistently in the New Testament to describe it. So hence, we have just adopted the term, basically, withdrawal fellowship. So, what do you think about this story and about that last paragraph that two of the most overlooked aspects of corrective discipline, it's utterly without meaning outside the context of genuine congregational fellowship and the exercise of discipline is in fact the ultimate expression of fellowship. Amen. Okay. You can't take something away that wasn't there to begin with. You can't take something away. Yeah, I got an amen and you can't take something away it wasn't that wasn't already there. Micah. I wonder what a church would look like if everyone bought into intensive fellowship. It's not just something for the elders to take to do, but if if everyone invested uh, in that. Yeah. Yeah. And he addresses that too, doesn't he? Later in the chapter when he talks about you probably will never get a hundred percent of that because you're always gonna probably have some fringe people, some new people, some you know but for the most part, this idea of fellowship is, I think, is critical to discipline. Tony? Yeah, and I, that was the issue that I had with, with this chapter, and just some statements of almost, well, it's them. They're too, uh, they, they hustle out the door, they're, they're not really social, you know, it's them. And honestly, that's not, that's half of it. But the other half is, it's me. It's me, right. And I, I don't think we... Well, like Mike is pointing out there. If, if I was involved in intensive fellowship, you know, and what am I going to do about that? And how am I going to be seeking people out so that I can discipline them later? No, it's just that right. how can I be seeking people out so that we we avoid these things and we, we, we counteract the, the issues that come up there? And so, so what if they're... You know, hustling out the door. Well, did I hustle out after them? Right. Uh, have I have I pursued them? My wife talks about f- good friends that she has aren't because they sought her out, but because she actively pursued relationships with them and has always kept just pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. And honestly, that's sometimes it's just the way things work. That it's it's it is kind of one sided. Uh, isn't that the relationship we have with God? I mean. <laughs> It's mostly one-sided, yeah. you know, and he's just asking for, can you just at least give me a little bit, yeah. you know? But, uh, so th- that was just the main issue, was just that don't treat it as, well, because they're, right. 
because they're not ones that want to be a part of us. And even in this congregation, I feel like there's a lot of people here that are very, very loving and warming and welcoming. But, you know, they're limited sometimes in their reach and their scope, and it's not 100% of everybody. Okay, well, maybe that's our goal. Uh, and I feel like at times that, that was the difficult of when it come to a class on this is we're wanting to deal with the discipline on the on the wrong end of it as opposed to that fellowship and maybe that's the focus and that these are almost last resorts or not even last resorts actually they're they're the culmination of that we've not been doing some things right absolutely absolutely I think for me this chapter is is the foundation of discipline yeah right and you know, he talks about, even to the end, he, he makes the comment that, and I'm not going to, but his idea is, if we have this true, intense fellowship with each other, discipline probably won't even be an item. It probably won't even be a thing. Because with true, intense fellowship, iron is going to be sharpening iron. We're going to be helping each other out. I'm going to know, Micah is going to know me. He's going to know, wow. There's something off with Mike. I need to go to Mike and find out what's going on in his life because he's just, something's going on with him, I can just tell. I can well, go to Tony and say that. That's the thing is, it's seeking it out before that even becomes, oh, absolutely. Oh, wait, wait, right, wait, right. Until the right. person, you know, starts right. doing vile tile. Yeah, and I don't even mean a big problem, just enough to know that just something's not quite right. So Mike, he, he must be dealing with something, right? He must be dealing with something. What I need to go to him and what can I do to help him out? And... Rissa has used this term in the past. Um, she did it when she did her um, talk at the ladies' cl- um, seminar in Lafayette, or whatever they, you guys call that. And um, but she talked about transparency, and she has tried to become very transparent. And basically, you know what? This is what has happened in our life with our son, and we're just going to be transparent about it. This is what we did. We think that we really messed up, and what, where, where, where we blew it. These are things we thought we did right, or we think we still think we did right. This is what he did, you know, transparency, and the more transparent we can become with each other, the more, or the easier it is for you to get to know me, and I can get to know you. Bob, question? Um, my answer to Micah's question would be that I think it would look a lot like a family. There's a lot of uh, disciplinary things that happen subtly because of our love for each other and our time spent with each other, and, and, and it doesn't get to the point of kicking a child or a family member out very often. Sometimes it does. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's right. And when he makes the statement that it is uh, discipline is utterly without meaning. In other words, don't even waste your time doing it. It's utterly without meaning outside the context of genuine congregational fellowship. That says a lot to me about how important fellowship is. Because, like this story, if these elders would have done this, sent a letter to these people that they haven't seen in six months or a year, and honestly, there's probably a lot, if not most of us, have kind of seen, I mean, not necessarily the whole thing, but we've seen, right, well, we're going to send a a letter to this person because they haven't been attending for the past six months. We're going to withdraw from them. Well, how? How are we going to withdraw from them when they have withdrawn from us and 
they're going to be relieved when they get a letter because that means that at least the elders won't be bothering me anymore. In their minds, that's what they're going to be thinking, right? Where was the fellowship? It was missing. There was no fellowship. If there would have been fellowship, those people would have been probably back because, or something would have been been done earlier from in from a discipline standpoint because people would have known truly where their heart was and is what what is it going to take to bring them back, Tony? Yeah, I'll let it go. <laughs> okay, all right. And I thought it was interesting because when you when you first read this or hear this as well, when he says the exercise of discipline is in fact the ultimate expression of fellowship, right? How how can that be? How can that be? It's almost like when we tell a child, probably don't do it. It's kind of cliche anymore, but this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Or I'm doing this for your good, right? I'm disciplining. I'm doing this for your good. Um, you know, the ultimate act of fellowship is discipline. There again, I'm not talking about withdrawal. I'm talking about discipline. I'm talking about going to this person. I'm talking about knowing them to the point where, you know... I don't know if I'd say ultimate. You know, we can play semantics on that. More just... It's just one of those major things. Right. You know, just the same as, you know, you're affirming, you're loving, you're, you're associating with this individual. So the opposite of that is also true, too. Absolutely. Yeah. But all of those things kind of constitute this idea of fellowship, right? Roll into that, yeah. And I think you would need to know that person well enough to know why they're... Before you can say, okay, you're out of here, why they're not attending. Maybe their job changed. Maybe they're, you know, they work a different shift. They had to work nights or, you know, or whatever. And there may be a reason for... Right. We can't make a hasty decision. But and but we should know people that, that well, we should be close enough that, that, that we would know that, right? Right. Yeah. 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 And if we don't, shame on us. I I mean I think Tony brought up a good point and I agree with him that you know, we always want to say discipline, discipline, that person. It's their problem, their issue. I would say it's it's at least fifty fifty. It's at least 50 50. Would you say that in a marriage? Absolutely. It breaks down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, if one, mem- if one member of a marriage is unfaithful, I guarantee you there's, there's fault on the faithful member of that, of that um, uh, marriage, too. Because there's something in that relationship that's not right, and it's never one sided. There's always two sides to it. We can argue on what percentage, but yes, I think in the idea of of, of church discipline, um, if we don't have this fellowship, then absolutely we have to we have to realize, you know, he's speaking to the faithful as well as he's speaking to those that are unfaithful and need help. Karen. So just tying this all together with what we talked about last week, I I love this example and I love how their proactiveness was really what brought, you know, to try and reinstate fellowship with these, you know, they were, they were restored. Let's say someone um, has been gone for a while or, and the elders go to them, ask for forgiveness, they repent for not dealing with, you know, not trying to bring them back. They try to, um, 
restore that fellowship and, and do everything that they can to restore that, um, maybe that is not received well, or they don't come back just because they're already gone, how is that tying back to like when we were talking about the story of Ron, mm -hmm. I still believe the Bible teaches we would have some responsibility to oh, them, absolutely. Yeah. even if they had already t taken themselves away, right. then how do we know where we stand as a church with this person? Because yes, they've taken themselves away and have basically taken away their fellowship, but we still have a responsibility, even if our efforts are not reciprocated. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The problem I run into, or the problem that I've had in the past is, it is always, well, we, we need to withdraw from them. And I think there are various, in various forms of discipline that the, that the, the scriptures talk about, right? Um, Maybe it is, and you don't want to call it withdrawing from someone because they're not going to feel anything because they've already withdrawn themselves from us. But um, is it even just as simple as, or maybe all we could really do at that point if this person, let's say the person left, nothing was ever done, they moved away, chance we'll probably never ever see them again in our life. Is there still a responsibility? And I think that there probably is. There's probably a responsibility to the church to let them know the status of the person, to let them know that, you know, um, um, until we hear otherwise, that, you know, that, that this is, this we have reached out to them, they have not reciprocated, you know, this is the way they're living, and we would uh, encourage the congregation to do several things, right? Number one, don't, you know, we would encourage you not to do anything that would give any indication to the person that, 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 uh, you would condone their activities whatsoever. You may never see them again anyway. But also, which I think the elders do a really good job here, <coughs> also remember that our ultimate responsibility is, and he talks about this here, we don't discipline to get rid of somebody, right? We discipline to try to bring them back. So our ultimate responsibility is to still try to bring them back. And so where do we then marry the idea of avoiding the person and still having a some sort of a relationship with the person so we can have a some communication, some contact, some some way to because we'll never be able to bring them back um, in situations like that if we can't be an influence in their lives in some way. And so there again, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So if you say, well we have to, you know the Bible says avoid this person, then we can never if they walk in this room, I've got to turn around and walk out of that room. Is that really what it means? Is that really the principle? What is the principle? The principle is they need to feel the loss of something and they need to understand that we are not going to, to do anything or participate in anything that would give them or maybe someone else around them the idea that we condone their lifestyle or whatever it is that they're doing. And there again, I think Tony kind of mentioned it, it's, there's not a cookie cutter answer for every every situation. That's the problem. I think sometimes we have tried to do that. We've tried to shoehorn things into a box. Here's the discipline box. This is how we're going to treat it. Doesn't matter what the situation is. I don't see that I don't see that in the Bible 
when it talks about discipline, because there's various things and various ways it's done and different steps that are taken. Um, so um, I kind of danced around a giving you an answer, you know, but I would agree and I would say absolutely there is a responsibility. And um, based on that situation that we would be in, I think then this responsibility would be, I would hope that the elders would be able to say, you know what, this is what we would really encourage you to do, how we would encourage you to either interact or not interact with these people um, in an effort to do what we can to bring them back. That's the best non-answer I can give you. <laughs> Craig? Yeah, I, I agree that there are, there are many different things that we can do before the withdrawing of fellowship. Um, different types of discipline. Um, Paul recommended to Timothy a couple of different times that one of those things was to publicly rebuke the person. So they were either teaching something false or they were uh, persisting in sin. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.20 um, He says, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. So there's somebody who's living in sin, doesn't want to repent, and the rest of the congregation needs to be aware that this person is choosing that. Um, you know, I, I, in my own family, that is this situation what Karen has described. Um, one of my brothers knew that that discipline was coming, so they simply moved away yeah. before it could happen. Yeah, and thought that they hadn't officially been, you know, disciplined in front of everyone. So. Um, they were able to continue to live the way that they wanted to live. What would have been better is if that congregation had had publicly let the group know what was happening, but it, it wasn't. And so it left confusion, it yeah. left, um, it, it allowed the sin to persist longer. Um, and that's not, that's not healthy for the person. Right. It's not healthy for the church. Um, and so there, there are times where yeah, maybe they have moved away. Maybe they have simply stopped attending. Maybe they're still in the area, but they stopped attending. Um, you're also trying to be thoughtful of the group that's left. What's what's in their best interest? Do you let them continue on in confusion? Right. Um, usually, that's only going to hurt everybody. Yeah. Um, sometimes you do need to publicly rebuke them so that um, right. so that they can have the information they need to try and approach the person right. and try to help them. Um, so yeah, there, there are many things that, that we can do uh, before we you know, just cut everything off. Right. John, were you wanting to... Uh, I was just going to say a couple <coughs> of things. Um, you know, one, if, uh, if elders have dropped the ball in carrying out their responsibility, I think, you know, you need to admit you've been wrong. And you talk about transparency. Uh, admit you've been wrong as you share with the group the situation. And uh, and, and I, I do agree with Craig to keep everybody informed. Even if you have to announce that this, this person is lo no longer a member in good standing for these reasons, mm -hmm. maybe there is no point of contact anymore because they moved, you know, thousand miles away right uh, but at least they're aware they can pray if they have a, any sort of communication they can try to be positive in that um, but it, it also to me points out the power of, of a simple tool like the online directory that we have and you know if we all would just kind of work our way through that list and pray for 
a couple of families uh, a, a, a night or every other day, you you find out quickly who you don't know anything about, <laughs> and it would be you know a reminder. Right. I I need to I need to strike up some sort of a relationship here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and even if we think we really know someone, that doesn't mean we can't get to know them even deeper, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. David. I'd like to go back to that statement, the exercise of discipline is the ultimate expression of fellowship. And I think Hebrews 12 does a pretty good job of putting that in biblical language. Uh, you know, starting in verse 5, says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to your sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. Uh, God uh, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So, I think using the language of Hebrews 12, I think it's teaching that concept. Uh, and I I like using biblical language. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, well, the very fact that if we're not disciplined by God, then we're not legitimate, are we? Yeah. 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 And that would carry forward in the church as well. Yeah, okay. Thank you for bringing that up. Thought, I liked his statement as well on uh, the, end, the bottom of page 49 or toward the bottom. He says middle of that paragraph there. Anytime a church has to search for its members in order to discipline them, something is seriously wrong. If you have to search for the members, right? Um, um, not only with the church's leader's concept of discipline, but with the church's fellowship as well. Yeah. So if we have to search to try to find the people that we feel like we need to discipline, we have no fellowship. We haven't done our job. It said, outside the context of genuine fellowship, discipline can only be destructive, which is one reason so many have had negative experiences with it. Certainly, that this isn't the intent of discipline according to Scripture. So, outside the context of genuine fellowship, discipline can only be destructive. So if we don't have fellowship and we decide to di discipline a person and we have no relationship with them, all we're going to do is drive a wedge deeper and deeper. We're going to drive them away if there's no fellowship. Why would they want to come back if there's no fellowship? Right? I mean, that's what, that's what, that's what Christianity is about. Fellowship with Christ, fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. With no fellowship, it's only going to be destructive, which is not what discipline is all about. He kind of says the same thing on chapter, not chapter, uh, page 50, right in the middle. He says, apart from fellowship, discipline is not only meaningless, but it is abusive. Because if we have no fellowship, what's the purpose of discipline? You deserve it. 
You deserve it. So, I mean, we've talked about this as well, but I had an asterisk by this on the bottom of page 50, this um, last two sentences there. Where there is no fellowship, there is no valid context for carrying out discipline. One of the first lessons to learn about discipline is that you can't discipline someone you don't really care about. So, discipline is going to be something that is relationship. It's relational, right? If we, if I'm going to discipline, I'm not going to discipline someone that is either not here, that I don't know, that has no relationship with me. Doesn't make sense. They're not going to listen to that anyway. So, if we can't discipline someone we don't really care about, then the opposite is absolutely true. Then we must discipline those we truly care about. Like a parent disciplines children. And remember, discipline, we keep going back to that word. Same root word as disciple. It's this idea of teaching and training as well. It's not always just, you know, it's um, corrective or, well, I guess it is corrective. It's not, um, it's not punitive, right? That is not the, that's not, sometimes punishment is involved in it, but that's not the purpose of discipline. The purpose of discipline is the positive side of it, the corrective side the um, iron sharpening iron. How can, I, how can I help you in this situation? Or I've got this situation going on in my, in my life, can you help me with it, right? That's this idea of discipline. And that only comes when we have fellowship with each other. Frosty? This is it with the children. If you don't tell them what they've done wrong or what they're doing wrong, they don't know any different. You know, <clears throat> let someone know that, hey, this is not appropriate for what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. A sad quote that he had in here that I I thought was was probably telling, which is really sad. It's on page 51, this little inset. Um, The last four lines of that quote says, A sociologist studying the average Christian church would see no essential difference in the quality of its human relationships and those of some local clubs, say a community service group or a country club. And I wrote down, I said, we might even see deeper relationships in some of those secular clubs than we do in the church. And that's a sad commentary when it comes to fellowship. Do I have stronger relationships with some of the people I work with? Do I have stronger relationships with people that I hunt with, fish with, golf with, or whatever I you know, do for fun when that's not within my family? Do I have stronger, stronger relationships with them than I do with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe because the the commonality that you have with someone that you like fishing, they like fishing, you go fishing. You go fishing together. And so it's those things that we find important and that we find ourselves rallying around. But do we find ourselves rallying around Christ? Right. Um, I like Christ. Do you like Christ? Let's talk about Christ. Yeah. What's that fellowship? Yeah. Oh, I think that's a great point. I think that's absolutely right. Micah? I appreciate that that quote in the context of the rest of that paragraph where it talks about us being willing to be open with others and us being willing to receive someone who is opening up to us. If we're not willing to do either of those, then that, that's where our commonality, our common bond yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. I agree. There were a lot of really good things in here that we could, could have 
discuss. I want to read just one last thing. It's the last paragraph before the thought and discussion questions because I thought he kind of summarized it really well and then, then we'll be the end of the class. So rather than simply recognizing our lack of congregational discipline, we must see the larger problem, lack of congregational fellowship. If we work to correct the more basic problem, then effective godly discipline can and will occur in our churches. In fact, it will become the norm simply because people care so much about one another that they can't sit by and do nothing when sin is taking its toll in the life of a fellow believer. That's, that's what it boils down to. Do we have that relationship, relational fellowship with each other that if I see or I know of sin in someone's life, I just can't stand by and let it happen. I need to go and talk to this person. Or if there's sin in my life, do I expect someone to come and talk to me about it? Um, that's, where we, that's where we need to be. And then, there again, maybe these little acts of discipline will totally negate the need to ever have this ultimate act of discipline that we talk about when we, or that we think about, you know, this idea of withdrawing. So, thank you for your comments. I really appreciate it. And uh, Craig will take over for the next several classes. Yeah, so for Sunday, basically, we're going to kind of break down those three parts, speaking the truth in love. Okay. For what is truth, what is love, and what's involved in, in speaking, and why is that important. So. Okay, great. Yeah. Thanks.